namo bhagavate vasudevaya om namo bhagavate vasudevaya om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om Ajnana Timirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tazmai Shri Gurave Namaha. So last week we, we spoke about <coughs> this verse, uh, I think it's 31, that it was such an important verse for uh, Rupa Goswami in Nectar of Devotion in explaining uh, Raghunuga Bhakti, interestingly enough, and how of these... Uh, different categories that are mentioned in 31, the gopis and the yadus uh, are, practice, are practices of ragatmika bhakti. And the pandavas maybe, and Narada Muni is more uh, in, the, in the level, uh, in the, is categorized here as general devotees doing devotional service, um, more on the Vaidhi side. And Kansa, although he was always thinking of Krishna, and Shishupa, who are always thinking of Krishna, they are not put in the, into these categories of, of bhakti um, because it wasn't, it was pratikul, not anukul. It was favor, uh, unfavorable and favorable. But still, at the same time, they got some amazing um, results in their lives because they were always thinking of Krishna. So that's, so then we hear in the next verse about someone who is also, you could say, a demoniac like Kangsa was, but never thought of Krishna. Okay. So we're on verse 32, the seventh canto, first chapter. Okay. Somehow or other, one must consider the form of Krishna very seriously. What a nice statement. Then, by one of the five different processes mentioned above, one can return home back to Godhead. So, okay, so those are those five that we just said, right? The, the, we, well, we said Kangsa, Shishupal, the Gopis, the, uh, Rish, the uh, Yadus, and uh, the Pandavas. Uh, atheists like King Vena, however, being unable to think of Krishna's form in any of these five ways cannot attain salvation. Therefore, one must somehow think of Krishna, whether in a friendly way or inimically, not, again, we know that inimically is not the uh, is not the goal. Let me just get my notes uh, set up here a little bit. Okay. So in impersonal in the purport, impersonalists and atheists always tried to circumvent the form of Krishna. Great politicians and philosophers of the modern age even tried to banish Krishna from the Bhagavad Gita. Consequently, for them, there is no salvation. But Krishna's enemies think. Here is Krishna, my enemy, I have to kill him. They think of Krishna in his actual form, and thus they attain salvation. Devotees, therefore, who constantly think of Krishna's form are certainly liberated. The only business of the Mayavadi atheist is to make Krishna formless, and consequently, because of this severe offense at the lotus feet of Krishna, they cannot expect salvation. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says in this connection, Tena Shishu Paladi Bhina Except for Shishupal, those who go against the regulated principles cannot attain salvation and are surely destined for hellish life. The regulated principle is that one must always think of Krishna, whether as a friend or as an enemy. So we hear this all the time. Always think of Krishna. Always think of Krishna. What does that mean to you? What do, you could either put it in the chat or you can get off of mute. But what do you do to always think of Krishna? What is the in practical day to day sense? What what works for you to always or you know obviously always to think of Krishna? Because I doubt most of us are on the level of always. What are your thoughts? Uh, yes, Andy? Yeah, my thoughts. Actually, I always think of Krishna. Oh, okay. Uh, no, I had the same problem. That's how I ended up here. Because um, I used to be in the world, you mean? Or what? <laughs> no, in the uh, Krishna consciousness movement. Uh huh. I started out as an atheist, but I became a more rabid and rabid atheist. And I finally looked at myself and said, 
why are you protesting so much? <laughs> and I realized because I really couldn't stop thinking about God. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very so good. that's my problem and, and, my, uh, and my boon, too, I guess, at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Anantarupa and Jivatapa say chanting, seeing the forms of the deities, serving the deities, meditating on his pastimes. That's what Jiva says. Seeing everything in the world in relationship to Krishna. Okay. Yes, uh, Shakshi Prabhu. So in my case, I'm learning, and that's a checkpoint for me, uh, remembering Krishna. So sometimes I get deluded, and then like that helps me to remember to Krishna. And like most of the time, I do remember, and then like you know, uh, thanking him for everything that he has been given. So and, gratitude, uh, gratitude helps you think of Krishna. Okay. Yes, something, but like again, that's basically a checkpoint. Like, hey, I'm in delusion here. Or like, you know, I'm just thinking about him. Like, you know, it's, it's Krishna's activity. Okay, good. Thank you. Others, uh, Henry, Rasa, Pankaj, Nandimukhi. What, what comes in your ears, you know? Um, I mean, I, in the morning when I wake up, I turn on Prabhupada chanting first thing, you know? And then by 4.30, I'm watching the... Um, all my ca- all the cameras in my house have the um, you know the Mongol Artik at Alachua going on, and then at five o'clock there's Wisdom of the Sages. And, but I just try to keep some audio coming in, mm. whether it's Bajans or Prabhupada talking or classes or lectures. Just keep sending the good stuff in my ears. <laughs> sending the good stuff in your ears. Very good. Uh, uh, anyone else? Rasa, Pankaj, Nandimuki. Okay. Um, yeah, so, I mean, when you think about it, um, we, so people said hearing, people said different things. When you think about it, so there's, how do we, we usually say nam, rup, guna, lila, right? And, and all of these seem to, they, they come about by hearing, as Henry was saying. So there's the nam. So Krishna is his name. So it, many times Prabhupada would say when we're chanting, that is thinking of Krishna. Uh, Andy put in offering food to Krishna and never forget to eat. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, so the Nam, and then there's the Rupa. There's the, the form of Krishna. So uh, uh, Jiva Prabhu or, or his good wife said, um, you know, seeing the deities. So we're seeing a picture of Krishna, thinking about his form. The, the whole purport here is about form, right? The difference between someone who's benefited and not benefited is so, whether or not you accept the form of God. So Mayavadis reject the form, and that's why they're walking Aparadis. Kansa and Shishubal did not reject the form of Krishna, right? They accepted the form of Krishna. They may not have had an Anukul mentality, but specifically, that's the difference between a Mayavadi and an impersonal. Somehow, it's, ho- it's hard to imagine but a, a pakka impersonalist, one who accepts the form of the Lord, but just somehow prefers the impersonal. Uh, so then nam rup guna. And then we read about Krishna's qualities. Um, we're going to hear today that one of his greatest qualities is bhaktavatsala, that he's inclined to his devotees. Uh, and there's so many uh, other qualities of Krishna. Well, I mean, there's that he's all loving, that he's all beautiful, that he's all wealthy, that he's all renounced, uh, you know, and, and then we hear his qualities in, the, in, in, when, in Vrindavan, and so Nam Rup Guna, and then his Leela, his pastimes, and we hear about him lifting Govardhan Hill, or, you know, uh, doing the Rasa Leela, or killing, uh, dancing on the heads of Kaliya, um, or entering the mouth of Agasura, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how, you know, that's specifically how we remember Krishna, through Nam, Rup, Guna, and Lila, and all those are kind of centered around hearing, because, you know, you don't, ch- generally, we don't just start chanting Hare Krishna without first hearing that we should chant it, and then hearing the glories of chanting. Um, so, as Henry was saying, uh, Prabhupada would sometimes shravanam, then kirtanam, hearing, and then chanting. So, this is how we the Shastra from thousands of years ago actually very much applies to our life today. Nam, Rup, Guna, Lila. And in one sense, because by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's um, mercy, the Nam uh, gives us everything else. We start, And it starts with the Nam. Hmm. Okay. Uh, 
any, anything else on this verse? It's just a very nice verse about the importance of Krishna's form. That's why those first few sentences. It, it's interesting because I remember reading, you know, it, it, uh, elsewhere that the difference between an impersonalist and Maya body, like I said, is accepting Krishna's form. And then when I read this purport, it clicked the connection. So anything here? Okay, then let us carry on. We're going up to verse 35. Narada Muni continued, O best of the Pandavas, your two cousins, Sishupal and Danta Vakra, the sons of your maternal aunt, were formerly associates of Lord Vishnu. But because they were cursed by Brahmanas, they fell from Vaikuntha to this material world. Maharaj Yudhisthira inquired, what kind of great curse could affect ever-liberated Vishnu Bhaktas? And what sort of person could curse even the Lord's associates? For unflinching devotees of the Lord to fall again to this material world is impossible. I cannot believe this. <laughs> Text 35, the bodies of the inhabitants of Vaikuntha are completely spiritual, having nothing to do with the material body, senses, or life air. Therefore, kindly explain how associates of the personality of Godhead were cursed to descend in material bodies like ordinary persons. Uh, and this is, of course, a famous purport. This very significant question would be difficult for an ordinary person to answer. But Narada Muni, being an authority, could answer it. Therefore, Maharaj Yudhisthira inquired from him, saying, Etad akyatum or hasi. Only you can explain the reason. From authoritative sources, it can be discerned that associates of Lord Vishnu who descend from Vaikuntha do not actually fall. So the associates of Vishnu, okay, they don't. They come with a purpose of fulfilling the desire of the Lord, and their descent to this material world is comparable to that of the Lord. The Lord comes to this material world through the agency of his internal potency, and similarly, when a devotee or associate of the Lord descends to this material world, he does so through the action of the spiritual energy. Any pastime conducted by the Supreme Personality of God is an arrangement of yoga maya, not maha maya. Therefore, it is to be understood that when Jai and Vijay descended to this material world, they came because there was something to be done for the Supreme Personality of God. Otherwise, it is a fact that no one falls from Vaikuntha. Any questions? <laughs> This is like, you know, the perennial question. And Prabhupada, you know, as, as Krishna does in the Bhagavad Gita, when, as we've talked about in so many times, takes two sides of a story. Prabhupada also does, because there you, you have it, that last sentence that I just read, no one falls in Lakunta. And then uh, I know this is a little long. I'll show it in the chat so you can follow along with, uh, in the share of the screen. It's a, it's a letter that Prabhupada wrote uh, on this very topic. And we will read that letter in a second. So you can see my screen, the tall uh, crow and tall fruit logic. We never had any occasion when we were separated from Krishna, just like one man is dreaming and he forgets himself. In dream, he creates himself in different forms. Now I am the king, discussing like that. The creation of himself as the seer and the subject matter or scene two things, that as soon as the dream is over, the scene disappears, but the seer remains. Now he is in his original position. Our separation from Krishna is like that. We dream this body and so many relations with other things. First, the attachment comes to enjoy sense gratification. Even with Krishna, desire for sense gratification is there. There is a dormant attitude for forgetting Krishna and creating and atmosphere for enjoying independently. Just like at the edge of the beach, sometimes the water covers, sometimes there is dry sand coming and going. Our position is like that, sometimes covered, sometimes free, just like at, at the edge of the tide. As soon as we forget, immediately illusion is there. Just like as soon as we sleep, dream is there. We cannot say, therefore, that we are not with Krishna. As soon as we try to become Lord, immediately we are covered by Maya. Formerly, we were with Krishna in his lila or sport, but 
this covering of Maya may be very, 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 very long duration. Therefore, many creations are coming and going. Due to this long period of time, it is sometimes said that we are ever conditioned. But this, but his long duration of time becomes very insignificant when one actually comes to Krishna consciousness. Just like in a dream, we are thinking very long time. But as soon as we awaken, we look at our watch and, it, and, and see it has been a moment only. Just like with Krishna's friends, they were kept asleep for one year with Brahma. But when they woke up and Krishna returned before them, they considered that only a moment has passed. So this dreaming condition is called non-liberated life. And this is just like a dream. Although in this material calculation, it is a very, it is a long, long period. As soon as we come to Krishna consciousness, then this period is considered as a second. For example, Jaya and Vijaya, they had their Leela with Krishna, but they had to come down for their little mistake. They were given mukti, emerging into, merge, emerging into the uh, Brahma Sayuja after being killed three times by demons. This Brahma Sayuja mukti is not permanent. Every living entity wants pleasure, but Brahma Samukya is minus pleasure, right? Because the, the subject and the object are one and the same. There is eternal existence only. So when they do not find uh, transcendental bliss, they fall down to make compromise with material bliss just like Vivekananda founded so many schools and hospitals. So even Lord Brahma, he is still material and wants to lord it over. He may come down to become a germ, but then he may rise up to Krishna consciousness and go back home back to God. This is the position. So when I say, yes, there is eternal Leela with Krishna, that means on the evidence of Jaya Vijaya. Unless one develops full devotional service to Krishna, he goes up only to Brahma Sayuja, but falls down. But after millions and millions of years, of keeping oneself away from the Leela of the Lord when one comes to Krishna consciousness, this period becomes insignificant, just like dreaming. Because he falls down from Brahma Sayuja, he thinks that may be his origin, but he does not remember that before that, even he was with Krishna. So the conclusion is that whatever may be our past, let us come to Krishna consciousness and immediately join Krishna. Just like with a diseased man, it is a waste of time to find out how he had become diseased, better to spend time curing this disease. On to, uh, so then he gives, gosh, it goes on a little longer, but it's so wonderful, interesting, isn't it? On the top of the tree, there is a nice tall fruit. A crow, a crow went there and the fruit fell down. Some pundits, big, big learned scholars saw, the, saw this and discussed. The, true, the fruit fell due to the crow agitating the limb. So the fruit fell simultaneously when the crow landing and frightened the crow and frightened the crow so he flew away. No, the fruit was ripe and the weight of the crow landing broke it from the branch and so on and so on. What is the use of such discussions? So whether you were in the Brahma Sayuja or with Krishna in his Leela, at the moment you're in neither. <laughs> so best policy is to develop your Krishna consciousness and go there, never mind what is your origin. Brahma Sayuja and Krishna Leela, both may be possible, but when you are coming down from Brahma Sayuja or when you are coming down from Krishna Leela, that remains a mystery. But at the present moment, we are in Maya's clutches. So at present, our only hope is to become Krishna conscious and go back home, back to Godhead. The real position is servant of Krishna and servant of Krishna means Krishna Leela. Directly or indirectly, always we are serving Krishna's Leela. Even in dream, just like we cannot go out of the sun when there is daylight, so where is the chance of going out of Krishna Leela? The cloud may be there, it may become very gray and dim, but still the sunlight is there everywhere during the daytime. Because I am part and parcel of Krishna, I am always connected. My finger, even though it may be diseased, remains part and parcel of my body. Therefore, we try to treat it, cure it, because it is part and parcel. So Krishna comes himself when we forget him, or he sends his representative. Awakening or dreaming, I am the same man. As soon as I awaken and see myself, I see Krishna. Cause and effect are both Krishna. Just like cotton becomes thread and thread becomes cloth, still the original cause is cotton. Therefore, everything is Krishna in the ultimate sense. When we cannot contact Krishna personally, we contact his energies. So there is no chance to be outside Krishna's lila. But differences is we see under different conditions, just like in the pool of water, and in the mirror, the same me is reflecting, but in different reflections. 
One is shimmering, unsteady. One is clear and fixed. Except for being in Krishna consciousness, we cannot see our actual position rightly. Therefore, the learned man sees all living entities as the same parts and parcels of Krishna. Material existence is impersonal because my real personality is covered. But we should think that because I am now covered by this clay, I am diseased. And we should think that I must get to business to get myself uncovered, not wonder how I got this way. Now the fruit is there. I take it and enjoy. That is your first business. God is not bound by cause. He can change. He is the cause of all causes. Now don't waste your time with this kakatalila nyaya, crow and tall fruit logic. Woo! And um, also from Bhagavad Gita, it really does not matter how the living entities or superior energies of the Supreme Lord have come in contact with material nature. The Supreme Personality of Godhead knows, however, how and why this actually took place. Any questions or comments? Well, it's an amazing letter. It's an amazing letter, isn't it? Um, so philosophical, like in just like a personal letter to somebody. <laughs> it's very proactive. It, it, it takes, it takes, uh, it, 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 Prabhupada emphasizes all throughout the letter and all throughout his preaching. Just take where you are. Don't worry about. Um, but it's fat. It's it's to the to the mind, or at least to this diseased mind. Uh, there seems to be uh, at sometimes an unending fascination with you know uh, this whole issue, and I think the art of dealing with it is is convincing yourself that. You know, this is the Shastric explanation, or this is the explanation of the spiritual master. Don't worry about it. You know, just concentrate your energies on getting out. That that that's the art that uh, the guru is trying to teach us. Yeah, and it has some inconceivability to it. And inconceivable means you can't conceive it. <laughs> we try to conceive the inconceivable because on you know, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like uh, Lord George Harris, you know, the main focus is I uh, hope to get out of this place by the Lord Shri Krishna's grace. My salvation <laughs> from the material world. Other thoughts? Well, thought. <laughs> Other well, th I, oh, go ahead, Gurudas. No, I just, uh, you made me forget. Um, there, there was one other point uh, that is just a tangential point, but uh, it, the, the letter, as you read it, reminded me, um, Prabhupada said uh, Jai Vijay were killed three times. And so it made me think that every time I run across, and please forgive me, but every time I run across how the Lord kills the Kshatriyas 21 times. Um, can, you, can you tell me, is that 21 generations? Uh, how 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 is that how is that understood? I'd have to look at that. That's uh, okay, that's okay. That's a different thing. Let's, yeah, that's let's, let's go on. Let's go, let's go on. But I just was reminded of that and my curiosity about that. Yeah, but please go ahead. You only kill a person once, right? I mean, <laughs> I know that there's. Oh yeah, so it's a good question. I always took it as generations. Uh, other points on this. Other points, questions, comments on this uh, point. Okay, well, if there aren't any, um, that makes life easy. Uh, I, you know, the quandary for the material mind, I mean, you know, for our, our trying to figure this out with our intelligence is, well, Prabhupada explains it, right? If we were with Krishna, why would we ever want to leave, right? Uh, and at the same time, we see in this pastime that we're going to be reading about, Jai and Vijay, they didn't exactly want to leave, but they acted in a way that was not... Um, the Vaikuntha mentality. So we can say where did that? You were going to say not kosher. <laughs> yeah. And then if we, and if that is the case and Krishna just puts us in the material world, then, you know, is it Russian roulette? You know, some people get to be, you know, uh, Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda and some people get to be uh, uh, Melania Trump and, you know, I mean, whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, how do you, it would seem like Krishna just, well, you know, some people go to the spirit. It doesn't, you know, it it doesn't seem to have any agency on our part, any free will. 
So that's the, the intellectual quandary, but Prabhupada several times in this letter says, on the evidence of Jai and Vijay. Uh, and so we're seeing in Jai and Vijay, uh, we're going to read the pastime in detail soon, that they are in the spiritual world, they are, but they did develop some ill feelings towards the four Kumaras. And therefore, <coughs> they came here. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes. I have a question related to that, like, uh, help me to understand Prabhuji. Okay. Uh, they are the uh, servitors of Lord, and they are serving the Lord. And uh, when they do mistakes, like, you know, basically, you know, as a leader, accepts that mistakes. And uh, basically, he takes the responsibility of the people who work under him. And uh, in that context, then when J.V.J. did it, you know, I, you know, without without uh, his permission, they cannot do it. Do such abominable things. In one perspective, I understand it's a leader that he wants to perform, uh, but but like how to understand that aspect of it? Like particularly leadership qualities. Like you know, if somebody is doing something wrong, president says, "I will resign my position here." And Supreme Lord is so merciful and so grateful, and He always protector of His devotees. And uh, then, then this particular area, I don't see He's going an aloof. So, how to understand that? Well, we we we're going to study uh, you know, maybe even today in the readings, if if I recall, that Krishna wanted to fight, so He arranged this whole thing so He could have a good. You can't you can't really fight with anyone but His devotees. So therefore, he arranges us to have some, some fun with uh, Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu. <laughs> that's, that's one way to, to look at it. You know, and and there's, there's different ways to look at things, but that is, that is one way to do it. Yeah. Um, and I guess we, it, it's, it could serve as an impetus for us to be vigilant in our Krishna consciousness because if Jai and Vijay can, you know, do that, let's speak of us, or even like the Prachetas, right? They're doing uh, all this austerity and, you know, for so long. And then what do they do? They get really super angry right after they come out of the water, right? When they see all the trees. <laughs> so like you think, well, wait a second, didn't you, didn't you, got, didn't you all learn something during those 10,000 years of austerities? <laughs> you know, and they did, they did calm down after being um, spoken to by, I think it was by Burma. Um, or maybe Narada, I can't, I'd have to remember the past time. But still, you know, we, we have to always be on guard, especially while we're in the uh, in this stage of our bhakti. Any other thoughts? One more, one more clarification, Prabhu. Are they like having demonic qualities, something like that? Like if you see Jaivijaya, they have this uh, sharp teeth and all that stuff. Um, and they're always like really angry, standing, protecting the Lord outside. Well, they were only angry at the, the only thing we read about is they, they got upset at the four Kumaras, right? Um, they definitely, they were given that choice. Do you want to be a devotee for seven births or a demon for three births? And they, they, <coughs> they took the uh, demon mentality. So they definitely, uh, they were pretty good at, at, at acting as demons, weren't they? We're going to start reading all about them, Radhiranyakashipu. Anything else on this? Hare okay. Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Nandimuki Devi. Um, I, I think I read from this verse that uh, two messages. Um, and one, one is um, the living entity are never uh, out of Krishna's lila in whatever way. And he the living entity never, ever lost his transcendental nature. Mm -hmm. And the other message is that we... Well, let's do one at a Nandimukhi, let's do one at a time. So, yes, he does. So, yes, we never lose our nature ultimately, right? It just gets covered. Yeah, ultimately. Right? Yeah. And it gets covered uh, by, yeah. And, and the and other... Krishna's Leela, yes, and, and no, right? Because we're in... We're always influenced by Krishna's energies, either material yes. or spiritual. Yes. Okay, go ahead. The yes. second one. 
And second one is mm, we need to be sufficiently um, vigilant or fear of the material career. Yeah. Very good. Very good lessons. Okay. Uh, shall we carry on then? We're going up to 47. Is that right? Yeah. So we're going to read a bunch of verses. 11 of them. The great saint Narada said, Once upon a time, so how did he answer the question? He told the story. Right? Once upon a time, there when the four sons of Lord Brahma, namely, namely Sanaka, uh, Sanandana, Sanatana, and Sanakumar, were wandering throughout the three worlds, they came by chance to Vishnu Loka. Although these four great sages were older than Brahma's other sons like Marichi, they appeared like small naked children only five or six years old. When, <coughs> excuse me, when Jai and Vijay saw them trying to enter Vaikuntha Loka, these two gatekeepers, thinking them ordinary children, forbade them to enter. Thus checked by the doorkeepers, Jai and Vijay, Sananda, Sanandana, and the other great sages very angrily cursed them. You two foolish doorkeepers, they said, being agitated by the material qualities of passion and ignorance, you are unfit to live at the shelter of Madhavisa's lotus feet, which are free from such modes. It would be better for you to go immediately to the material world and take your birth in a family of most sinful asuras. While Jai and Vijay, thus cursed by the sages, were falling to the material world. Wow, it was like immediate, huh? They were addressed as follows by the great sages who were very kind to them. Oh, doorkeepers, after three births, you will be able to return to your positions in Vaikuntha. For then the duration of the curse will have ended. These two associates of the Lord, Jai and Vijay, later descended to the material world, taking birth as the two sons of Diti, Hiranyakashipu being the elder and Hiranyaksha, the younger. They were very much respected by the Daityas and Dhanavas. Appearing as Nrsinghadev, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Sri Hari, killed Hiranyakashipu when the Lord delivered the planet Earth which had fallen into the Kabotak Ocean. Hiranyaksha had tried to hinder them, him. And then the Lord, as Varaha, killed Hiranyaksha. So we, uh, we get coming attractions, right, before the pastime, right? We already hear that, uh, what's going to happen with Lord Nishingadev and Hiranyakashipu. Desiring to kill his son, Prahlad, who was a great devotee of Lord Vishnu, Hiranyakashipu tortured him in many ways. The Lord, the super soul of all living entities, is sober, peaceful, and equal to everyone. Since the great devotee Prahlad was <clears throat> protected by the Lord's potency, Hiranyakashipu was unable to kill him, in spite of endeavoring to do so in various ways. Thereafter, the same Jai and Vijay, the two doorkeepers of Lord Vishnu, took birth as Ravana and Kumbhakarna, begotten by Vishrava uh, in the womb of Kesini. They were extremely troublesome to all the people of the universe. Narada Muni continued, My dear king, just to relieve Jai and Vijay of the Brahmana's curse, Lord Ramachandra appeared in order to kill Ravana and Kumbhakarna. It will be better for you to hear uh, narrations of Lord Ramachandra's activities from Markandeya. In their third birth, the same Jai and Vijay appeared in the family of Chatriyas as your cousins, the sons of your aunt, because Lord Krishna has struck them with his disc, all their sinful reactions have been destroyed, and now they are free from the curse. And then 47, these two associates of Lord Vishnu, Jaya and Vijay, maintained a feeling of enmity for a very long time. Because of always thinking of Krishna this way, they regained the shelter of the Lord, having returned home back to Godhead. Purport. Whatever their position Certainly, Jai and Vijay always thought of Krishna. Therefore, at the end of the Mosola uh, Lila, these two associates of the Lord returned to Krishna. There is no difference between Krishna's body and Narayana's body. Therefore, although they visibly entered the body of Krishna, they actually re-entered Vaikuntha Loka as the doorkeepers of Lord Vishnu. Through Lord Krishna's body, they returned to Vaikuntha, although they seem to have attained Sayuja Mukti in Krishna's body. So I picked this verse and purport 
for a pretty simple reason. Um, one thing is that, you know, we sometimes read on or even if we don't read it, there are explanations beyond, um, you know, we learn more about things. Like we hear, we hear about Shishupal entering um, Krishna's body. Uh, but here we get some extra information that they kind of like pass through Krishna's body on their way to Vaikuntha. They didn't simply merge because they were, they were returning back to their uh, positions as Jaya and Vijaya. Um, and that brings up another point for me. And that is that, uh, there's, you know, there's different ways to look at situations. Uh, so on one hand, they look like they're Sayuja Mukti, but we, then we get some more information. And the, the Shastra is like that sometimes for us that we, maybe we, like, I, I, I don't know how many times I've read the Bhagavad Gita, uh, as it is. A lot, <laughs> just because of the nature of my service. Um, and, but every time I, I get something else out of it. It's not, like, you know, it's not like, oh man, I, I, I know those verses. Yeah, no, it's not like that. It's, it's ever fresh. And one gets more and more insight. And you can look, we can look at situations from different angles of vision. Just like, you know, we, of course, the, the, the classic story is how Krishna enters the wrestling arena and the different people in the audience see him differently depending on their relationship with him. And, and so the more we hear, we, more we, um, we become more broad-minded and can start looking at the different statements of the Shastra from uh, different angles of vision. So just like we're going to be reading all about Hiranya Kashipu now, and he was really a really, really, really bad person. And we also know, he, I don't know which one, he was either Jai or Vijay. <laughs> right? That, um, that doesn't mean he didn't cause true harm to people. You know, and so I just thought that was, you know, we, this, this purport gave us just a little more information that was really helpful about how uh, they didn't really attain Sayuja Mukti or entering Krishna's body, but rather they were kind of like uh, passed on, uh, going past through Krishna's body in one sense, and not to Goloka Vrindavan, but to Vaikuntha. So any questions, comments on this verse? Report. Okay, then we will finish this chapter and move on to the next chapter. Maharaj Yudhisthira inquired, Oh my Lord, Narada Muni, why was there such enmity between Hiranyakashipu and his beloved son Prahlad Maharaj? How did Prahlad Maharaj become such a great devotee of Lord Krishna? Kindly explain this to me. So this is an example of a question, one question that leads us on to many, many chapters, right? Isn't it? When you think about it, uh, we, we um, you know, why is there so much enmity? So then the whole pastime of Prahlad Maharaj and his father, and how did he become a great devotee and the whole um, uh, pastime of, uh, of, of his mother and, uh, and his father was off performing austerities and living in the... Uh, in his mother living uh, in, in uh, Narada Muni's ashram and hearing the Shastra, but she didn't understand it so well, but Prahlad Maharaj heard it. And all that emanates from this one question. And that's the end of the chapter. Okay, now, chapter two, Hiranyakashipu, king of the demons. Sri Narada Muni said, my dear King Yudhisthira, when Lord Vishnu, in the form of Varahad, the boar killed Hiranyaka. Hiranyaksha's brother, Hiranyakashipu, was extremely angry and began to lament. Filled with rage and biting his lips, Hiranyakashipu gazed at the sky with eyes that blazed in anger, making the whole sky smoky. Thus he began to speak. <laughs> Exhibiting his terrible teeth, fierce glance and frowning eyebrows, terrible to see, he took up his weapon, a trident, and thus began speaking to his associates, the assembled 
demons. O Tanavas and Daityas, O Dvimudha, Triyaksha, Sambhara, and Satabahu, O Hayagriva, Namuchi, Paka, and Lala, O Viprachiti, Puloman, Sakuna, and other demons, all of you kindly hear me attentively and act accordingly in my words, to my words without delay. My insignificant enemy, the demigods, have combined to kill my very dear and obedient well-wisher, my brother Hiranyaksha. Although the Supreme Lord Vishnu is always equal to both, both of us, namely the demigods and the demons, this time being devoutly worshipped by the demigods, he has taken their side and helped them kill Hiranyaksha. Seven and eight. The Supreme Personality of God has given up his natural tendency of equality towards the demons and demigods. Although he is a supreme person, now influenced by Maya, he has assumed the form of a boar to please his devotees, the demigods, just as a reckless, restless child leans towards someone. I shall therefore sever Lord Vishnu's head with his, from his trunk with my, for, uh, by my trident. And with the profuse blood from his body, I shall please my brother Hiranyaksha, who was so fond of sucking blood. Thus shall I too be peaceful. <laughs> it's so funny, right? He talks about all these terrible things that he's going to do, and they say, oh, then I'll be peaceful. Purport. Okay, so we'll read the first paragraph. The defect of the demoniac mentality is expressed in this verse very clearly. Hiranyakashipu thought that Vishnu also becomes partial like a child whose mind is not steady or resolute. The Lord can change his mind at any time, Hiranyakashipu thought, and therefore his words and activities are like those of a child of children. Actually, because the demons are ordinary human beings, their minds change, and being materially conditioned, they think that the Supreme Personality of God it is conditioned also. As the Lord says in Bhagavad Gita, Avajananti Mamudha Manusim Tanamasrita. Fools deride me when I descend in a human form. Hmm. So in that verse from 9.11 of the Bhagavad Gita, um, it's very, it's very, the context is very interesting because, okay, so that's what, this is what Prabhupada is saying, that they, they, they deride him when he descends in a human form. But then the next verse in the Gita explains to us what happens to such people. That's uh, 9.12. I just have to get it up here on my screen. 9.12. Moghasya, uh, moga karmano, moga jnana saha, rakshashim asurim chaiva prakritim mohinim striyad. So this is ninth chapter, verse 12, Bhagavad Gita. Those who are bewildered, those who are thus bewildered, and what does that thus bewildering mean? It means um, deride, not accepting Krishna's form. Fools deride me when I descend in the human form. They do not know my transcendental nature of this, as the supreme lord of all that be. So the outcome of that is this. Those who are thus bewildered are attracted by demonic and atheistic use. They're attracted by that. And in that deluded condition, their hopes for liberation, their hopes for fruitive activities, their hopes for cultivation and knowledge, all katam hogya, all finished, all defeated. O gasya moga karmana, moga jnana vichetasa. O moga, moga, moga. Moga means um, baffled. So everything's just finished when one doesn't accept or appreciate the form that the Lord has an eternal form. So that is the outcome or the, uh, yeah, the uh, result of having the kind of mentality that Hiranyakashipu had. So then going towards the end of the purport, Prabhupada, then, then he quotes, very interesting, he's really into the ninth chapter of the Gita in this purport. So then 926 goes a little further, and 920, I mean, is a little further in the chapter. And this verse, famous verse, that if one offers me with love and devotion, a leaf, a flower, fruit of water, I will accept it. Um, and it is the beginning of uh, uh, nine verses all about pure devotional service. And this verse, is the, is, it, it epitomizes pure devotional service. 
because in, if we do a little analysis of the ninth chapter of the Gita, in 9.15, we heard about Pritak Vena Bahuda, the demigod worshippers. And we also hear in just a few verses, three verses before, 9.23, that those who are devotees of other of demigods and who worship them with faith, actually they worship me alone, Osana Kunti, but they do it in the wrong way. So um, the, this chapter talks about that. It also, so this karma kandik, these karma kandik yagyas, they all have to be, you know, you have to get the right ingredients, cost a lot of money to get the right ingredients. You got to get the Brahmins to chant the mantras exactly right. And all of it has nothing to do with pure devotional service. It's all gimme, gimme, gimme. It's all, you know, uh, karma kanda kind of um, transactional relationship with the, with the demigods and with, with the Lord through the demigods. But this verse that Prabhupada's quoting in the purport is showing the, the simplicity and the, the sub, sublime nature of bhakti that Krishna tastes the bhakti. He mentions the word bhakti twice. And then he just talks about patram pushpambalam. That's all in the singular. If, you know, even if you offer me one leaf, one flower, one water, you know, one little cup of water, asnami, I will accept it. So the, the juxtaposition in this chapter of, of all the work you have to do and all the fancy ingredients you have to get to do a yagna as compared to offer me a leaf, a flower, fruit, a cup of water. And if it's offered with bhakti, I will accept it. <clears throat> so what a, what a, uh, what a difference. <laughs> so it's a very, very significant part of the Bhagavad Gita because Krishna, because yagyas were a big thing in that, in that time. And Krishna's, Krishna's blowing that up. Just like the Dharma Shastras and Artha Shastras in the first chapter of the Bhagavad Gita were very big uh, things at that time. You know, Krishna's a, a Dharma, Bhivava Krishna, Pradushanti, Kulastriya. Uh, that that um, if the Chatriyas are killed, then the women will turn to irreligion, etc., etc. And, and Krishna blows those up by saying, uh, um, well, he begins by saying, Kutasvam Kashmalami Dhamma, how have these impurities come upon you? And then he says, Asochanam Vasochastam Pragyabaram Jabasasay, that while you're speaking learned words, you're acting like, you know, it sounds really good. You're quoting Dharma Shastra, you're quoting Artha Shastra, you're a fool. <laughs> so, uh, so I find that it's significant. Prabhupada is quoting the ninth chapter here twice in two very different contexts. <clears throat> Um, one about people who don't accept his form, and the other, what, how we can approach them so simply. So Prabhupada writes, if one offers me with love and devotion of leaf, flower, fruit, or water, I will accept it. The Lord accepts the offerings of devotees because of their transcendental love. Because they are in love with the Supreme Lord, they do not eat anything without offering it first to the Lord. The Lord does not hanker for a small leaf or flower he has enough to eat. <laughs> I love that sentence. He has enough to eat. Indeed, he is feeding all living entities. Nonetheless, because he is very merciful and is bhaktavatsala, very favorable to his devotees, he certainly eats whatever they offer with love and offer him with love and devotion. This quality should not be misled to be childish. The highest quality of the Supreme Lord is that he is bhaktavatsala. He is, in other words, he is always extremely pleased with his devotees. So the word maya, as for the word maya, when used in reference to the dealings of the Supreme Personality of God and his devotees, this word means affection. The actions of the Lord to favor his devotees are not disqualifications, but signs of his natural affection. So he's not showing favoritism. Anyone who would approach him with love, he'll reciprocate with. But it's up to us if we approach him with love or not. So, some questions or comments on this point? Yeah, I saw a video of Prabhupada one time, and he was, when he started to quote this, uh, that verse from the Bhagavad Gita, he started to break down. Mm. He got very emotional. He said, I'm yeah. such a fallen person. Please accept this flower, right? And he, he really lost it. So, I, when he says the highest quality, I mean, that's definitely uh, an evidence there. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's such a nice verse. Such a nice verse. 
Other questions or comments? What strikes me, Aribo, can you yes. hear me? Yep, totally. Okay. Yeah. Um, is that the verse itself here in Yaksha, this, or Jai playing the role of here in Yaksha and uh, in mood of anger, but he still addresses him as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Um, one, two, uh, Hiranyaksha does. Hiranyaksha. Yes, Hiranyaksha. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, we're gonna, go ahead. And we're going to read in some upcoming verses that we should have done for homework that, uh, he, you know, he's a self realized demon. <laughs> <laughs> he really knows his philosophy. He should give, uh, he should give, uh, the guest speaker in this class. <laughs> Well, like like uh, the demon that we discussed before, uh, in Indra battle, I can't get Vikrasura. Vikrasura. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Vikrasura, You mean the one that was a great devotee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> But uh, so here's another great devotee that has been covered and is in the role of, role of a, yeah. a de demon. And he's, you know, but he's still, he can't get the, the words, the Supreme Personality of Godhead out of his consciousness. Uh, yeah. Yes. Amazing. Other, any other points? And let us carry on. And we are going up to 11, verse 9. When the root of a tree is cut, the tree falls down. Its branches and twigs automatically dry up. Similarly, when I have killed this diplomatic Vishnu, the demigods for whom Lord Vishnu is the life and soul will lose the source of their life and wither away. While I am engaged in the business of killing Lord Vishnu, Go down to the planet Earth, which is flourishing due to Brahminical culture and a Chatriya government. These people engage in austerity, sacrifice, Vedic study, regular vows, and charity. Destroy all the people thus engaged. Text 11. The basic principle of Brahminical culture is to satisfy Lord Vishnu, the personification of sacrificial and ritualistic ceremonies. Lord Vishnu is the personified reservoir of all religious principles, and he is the shelter of all the demigods, the great pitas, uh, pitas, and the people in, and the people in general. When the brahmanas are killed, no one will exist to encourage the chatriyas to perform yagnas, and thus the demigods, not being appeased by yagna, will automatically die. Okay, so, um, so in this purport, it's very interesting, right? So we're hearing about the different Vedic piety in the purport. And Prabhupada goes on and to great, quite a bit of length to say, well, in, in these days, just chant Hare Krishna. So he writes, aside from Satya Yuga, even formerly in the days when demons were flourishing, Hiranyakashipu planned to destroy the Brahminical culture and the Chatriya government and thus create chaos all over the world. Although in Satya Yuga this plan was very difficult to execute, in Kali Yuga, which is full of sudras and demons, the Brahminical culture is lost and can be revived only by the chanting of the Maha Mantra. And then at the end, therefore, through the popularization of Hari Kirtan or the Sankirtan movement, the Brahminical culture and Chatriya government will automatically come back and people will be extremely happy. So in this Purport, Prabhupada is saying that it's just, you know, we don't have the piety, we don't have the, we can't just reestablish Brahminical culture, you know, just by doing some yagnas or this or that. We have to chant, the, the, the Yuga Dharma is to chant Krishna's name, and that has all the power in it. That's the way we reestablish Brahminical culture, Chakriya government, et cetera, et cetera, is the popularization of Hari Kirtan, because that is the dharma for this yuga, for this age, and especially as followers of Lord Shaitanya, that's so important. And then what's fascinating is to um, 
uh, juxtaposition that with what Prabhupada says in the, in the next verse, which has the word Varnashrama in it. Immediately go wherever there is good protection for the cows and Brahmins and wherever the Vedas uh, are studied in terms of Varnashrama principles. Set fire to those places and cut from the roots of the trees there, which are the source of life. <clears throat> so then in the purport, the first paragraph, Prabhupada glorifies Vedic culture. The picture of a proper human civilization is indirectly described here. In the perfect human civilization, there must be a class of men fully trained as perfect brahmanas. Similarly, there must be chatriyas to rule the country very nicely according to the junctions of the Shastra. And there must be Vaishyas who can protect the cows. <clears throat> and then a little further. The Varnashram Dharma mentioned here is essential for human civilization. Unless there is a brahmana to guide a chatriya to rule perfectly and a perfect Vaishya to produce food and protect the cows, how will people live peacefully? It is impossible. So wait a second. The last purport, Prabhupada said, well, yeah, but how to get there is by chanting. And the main thing is chanting. And here, in order to have human society, you need Varnashram. So it's not either or. <laughs> Varnashram, if it's done properly, which is not easy to do, can create a peaceful society for for the purpose, not Varnashram is a means to an end. It's not a mean, it's not an ends. Who cares? We all have to die. But uh, um, it's a mean, it's create a peaceful society so that people can more easily take the bhakti. But then how to do that in Kali Yuga, Prabhupada is saying by the propagation of the Sankirtan movement. So they're not two different things. They, they, can, they can help each other. Um, and that's why we can we have to be careful not to have like Prabhupada's snowball fights with his quotes, where you know in the first, in verse eleven we say no Harinam we just have to do Harinam that's it, and then the next verse verse twelve we just have to do Varanashram that'll create peaceful society. No, it's not. You have to look at everything Prabhupada is saying. And I just find it's interesting when you juxtaposition these two purports because really Prabhupada is is. It is, they do combine easily, but you could take the quotes out of context and, and do Jalpa and Vitanda instead of Vada. If you remember the 32nd verse of the 10th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna says the conclusive truth that is brought together uh, um, dispassionately is Vada. And that which, when we try to just win an argument, that's either Jalpa or Vitanda. So any questions or comments on that point before I go on to the second point here? Okay. So the second point is about trees. <laughs> another point is that trees, uh, another point is that trees also should be given protection. During its lifetime, a tree should not be cut for industrial in enterprises. In Kali Yuga, trees are indiscriminately and unnecessarily cut for industry, in particular for paper mills that manufacture profuse quantity of paper for the production of demoniac propaganda, nonsensical literature, huge quantities of newspapers, and many other paper products. This is a sign of a demoniac civilization. The cutting of trees is prohibited unless necessary for the service of Lord Vishnu. So trees, interestingly enough, are uh, are important to us. If you go to Brindavan, there's some famous trees there. There's the Krishna Balaram tree. When you start on the Purikam path uh, from Bhaktivedanta Swami Marg, and you just go uh, two or three minute walk, you come upon the Krishna Balaram tree, which is a uh, a whitish bark growing on a darkish bark. I think the whitish bark may have passed away now, but anyway, it, that tree is famous. Then there's Imlital, where Lord Chaitanya went to chant Hare Krishna on the bank of the Yamuna, and you know the, uh, the tamarind tree, Imlital, there, a very ancient tree. Um, there's a tree in the Rasa Stali at Govardhan, where the uh, next to Raghava Pandit's cave, which was near the area where Krishna um, did his Rasa dance, and that, that tree is considered very, very sacred. And, and at the ISKCON property that Tamal Krishna Maharaj and uh, Giriraj Maharaj purchased, the, uh, the ashram in Govardhan, there's this beautiful area where there's these two 
uh, leaves of trees combine, making like a canopy under the walkway. And one is a tamal tree and one is a kadamba tree. And kadamba represents Srimati Radharani. Tamal tree is very dark and represents Krishna. And they're intertwined on top there. <clears throat> In that beautiful, beautiful setting uh, near Tamal Krishnamarja's Samadhi. And uh, matter of fact, that's where Radhana Swami initiated my wife. He just did an initiation just for her there at that, right under those two trees. Um, so trees are considered, you know, um, well, especially in Vrindavan, they're kalpa briksha, they're wish-fulfilling trees. They're, they're, they're considered sacred. And when building the Krishna Balaram temple in the courtyard, Prabhupada said, do not cut down that tamal tree. And so there's this tree growing right in the middle of the uh, Krishna Balaram uh, courtyard of the temple. Mm. And I remember in Dallas, uh, I think it's Dallas, I remember reading in uh, that Prabhupada came to, a, a, I think, to Dallas. Then he came a second time and they had cut down the tree. And Prabhupada said, where is the tree? <laughs> he was upset that they had cut down, unnecessarily cut down the uh, the tree. Now for service, you know, that may be a different thing. Here in Montgomery County, if you cut down a tree, you have to plant three trees somewhere else. <clears throat> so we're not tree worshipers per se, but we also understand that they are living entities. Um, there are trees that give great nourishment. There's the apple trees, you know, all the different tr fruit trees in general, right? Um, that, and so in, in bygone days, when people would travel by foot to places, um, people for gaining piety would plant fruit trees along the way um, so that the pilgrims could, you know, have something to eat uh, while they're walking. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the opposite. <laughs> when, you, uh, when you go, when you drive to Florida on uh, I-95 or I-75, um, they have some orange trees on the side of the road. But if you ever stop and try to take one of them, they purposely make them not the kind of oranges that taste sweet. They're super, they're, they're inedible. They're there for looks only. It's like the opposite of, uh, of uh, in, in more traditional times. <laughs> so uh, trees are good. They give us shelter. They give us, uh, Six Goswami slept under a different tree every night. It said uh, they, they give a shade. Um, and when used for a good purpose, they give us their bodies, you know, to uh, in, in later in this purport to, uh, to uh, publish Krishna conscious literature, um, to, to give heat in the winter if we have to burn fire, you know, so they can offer their service also. Um, but unnecessarily cutting them down. Now, now sometimes they are cleared in order to uh, create either places for humans to live or for agriculture to go on. And that's why when the Prachetas came out of uh, meditation, they were very upset to see the, the planet overrun by trees because then where are the, where are the people going to live and where are they going to eat something? Because you can't just, it's very hard to grow things in a forest. You have to clear, clear the area, get the, the uh, soil ready, and then... You could, you know, they need sunlight, for example. So, uh, I, when you woke up this morning, I bet you weren't think of, uh, thinking you're going to be talking about trees, but they are, um, they are intertwined very much with our, even our theology and, and our, our stories and, and our lives. I, I, I like that you're talking about trees. I, I wonder if I could share an anecdote um, that I was with Bhakti Charu Maharaj and we arrived at the uh, temple and we were parking in front of the Prabhupada house there in Potomac. And there's a weeping cherry tree there many years ago. It's so about 25 years ago. <coughs> the, the hanging down um, branch, kind of a little end of it got caught in the like window door of my car. You know, and it was stuck in there. And Maharaj said, you know, let the tree out. It's hurting the tree. Mm. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And Kalpa Briksha trees are, you know, wish-fulfilling trees in, in, the, in the spiritual world that all the trees are Kalpa Briksha trees. 
Usually in, in Vrindavan, you can go to a tree and put your head next on the tree and then pray, make some prayers. Like that. Yeah, and some trees are very beautiful. And some trees are very old, like the in California. They're huge trees, right? Um, yeah. Any thoughts on trees? Trees, trees are generous enough that Prabhupada is able to use them as examples in different contexts. In yeah. one context, or not Prabhupada, but, but the Vedic understanding, the trees are so uh, such dull living entity, or they're, they're yeah. so covered, and yet they provide such amazing fruits and shelter, and, right. and he uses the humility. Thank you. And your point, you, you bring up a good point that also we say that, you know, it's not a very pious birth to be standing for hundreds of years. Of course, if you're offering service, then that's fine. <laughs> okay, so Prabhu's, like I said, I have to end a little early today because I have to um, facilitate a large group. So we will uh, start on verse 13 next week, and uh, hopefully our colleagues from the UK will figure it out because they're not on this week, and I'm assuming that's because of the, the change in, uh, in times. So I hope you make up for your hour of sleep and <laughs> Hare Krishna.